Well, today we are going to begin a process over the next few weeks. We're going to be walking through the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. We're going to walk all the way through Daniel 1, all the way through Daniel chapter 6, and we're doing this very deliberately. You know, you know, we've been walking through over the last couple of weeks, like what it means to love our neighbors, right? We've been talking about Matthew 22. We've been talking about, you know, where Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. We talked about, you know, back in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbors, but hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. And then what an idea that is, a concept that is. We, we've been talking through, like, how do we do that? Well, today what we want to do is we want to kind of take a, a, a different turn. We want to kind of go in a different direction, but it kind of fits together. It's purposeful. And it's purposeful because we know that we live in a culture today that while we are out there trying to love our neighbors, trying to love our enemies, that we also know that temptation is at every turn. That the opportunity for the pull to compromise is everywhere. And no matter who you are, no matter how strong of a Christian you are, there's always that situation, there's always that opportunity, there's always that, that magnetic pull to take us away from God's plan and to get us to fall into the trap of running after, remember this last week, of that evil world. Remember that we are pulled in that direction. And there's no better passage in Scripture that gives us a, a clear picture of what it means to live in a culture, in a world that is drastically running from God, staying away from God, staying away from truth, of how to live in that culture, how to be successful in that culture, how to be a leader in that culture, but also how to never compromise our belief, to always stand on doctrine. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to focus on in Daniel chapter 1. I want to read this passage to you today, and then we're going to just spend a little bit of time kind of learning from exactly what it is that we can kind of grab a hold of out of Daniel chapter 1 that gives us, like, takeaways for every single one of us. Because make no mistake that, that what Daniel was put into, and we're going to read this in a minute, but the, the situation that Daniel was put into uh, back around 605 B.C. is exactly the same situation that we're in every single day of our lives, okay? Now let me read this passage. We'll start with Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter. It's only like 20-some verses, so it's not going to take long, but I want to read it because, again, context is everything as we begin to learn how to live without compromise in a compromising world. Okay, so Daniel chapter 1. Let's begin with the verse, verse first. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, which some of the articles, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar, just so you know, is the land of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. He carried them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed uh, Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Now, make sure you understand in verse 3, when it says that he was instructed to bring some of the children of the leaders of the nobles of royalty uh, in the house of Judah, in the land of Judah, what that really means is to go and to capture them, take them into captivity. That's what took place here. 
Verse 4, young men in whom there was no, um, no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand. That means they were very smart, very bright, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they may teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave these names. They changed their names. They gave them Babylonian names. And here are the names they gave them. To Daniel he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So now you know who we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, right? So we're talking about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now we're kind of getting back into, oh, I know them from Sunday school. So we got that's who we're going to be focusing on talking about. Let's keep her in verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. You ought to underline that verse in your Bible. With the portion of the king's delicacies, not with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, then deal with your servants." So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, verses uh, 15 and 16 are important because what that tells us is this. If you spend all of your time eating only vegetables, it is true that you can be fatter than if you eat nothing but junk food and meat. The, that, that's what it, God's Word, people. God's Word. All right, let's keep reading. Do not put that in my notes. Okay, I just, that's just, just, just a little side thing here. Okay, verse 17. Uh, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they, uh, said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, let me just set the stage here just quickly what happened, right? You, you all got it, right? So, uh, so after Nebuchadnezzar went down and he defeated the king of Egypt... Uh, then he actually moved up and he went up and he began fighting against Judah. And it says here in verse 2 that, that, that he, you know, besieged Judah. He actually, you know, took over Jehoiakim and all the people of Judah. They took the stuff out of the temple. They took it back to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. They kidnapped, they captured some of the kids, some of the young people. And by the way, just so you know, the ages of the kids, 
uh, the, the historical context of what they did back in those days tells us that they, they began to, in fact, Plato, I think, actually talked about this, that in the Babylonian culture, that they began the education process of young men at about 13 to 14 years of age. So Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about 13 or 14 years old. They were taken away from their homes, taken away from their families, taken away from their homeland, and they were taken all the way over to Babylon, over to modern-day Iraq, they were taken into the king's castle, into his palace, and there they were instructed that you're going to eat this way, you're going to drink this way, you're going to go to class, you're going to learn, because the purpose was to brainwash them into, because they took only the best, remember we read that, only the best that they took of Judah, and brainwashed them so that then they would actually be servants to the king and would actually be people that they could be training up as the leaders going forward. Daniel was one of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were, they were three of them as well. And there in that context, in that story, Daniel said, purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself. What that says is this. Daniel decided he was not going to compromise what he believed. Daniel said, there's no way that I'm going to become what they want me to become. I'm going to stand for truth. Now, that's a great statement that all of us today, that we need to kind of grab a hold of, because let's be honest, in today's culture, that same pull is on every single one of us to pull us away from truth, to pull us away from God's word. It's at every turn. I mean, you go to the media today, you watch the videos, television, you read books, you read the newspaper, you see the news. Everything is trying to get us to believe a new narrative, a new truth. That what was true yesterday is no longer true today. That everything is changing. And so therefore we need to change how we act and what we believe based on what the culture is doing and acting and believing. And so we're all in the same boat here, right? Now, now we weren't kidnapped. We weren't taken out of our homes. We weren't taken to the king's palace to, to be brainwashed. No, that's not happening. But make no mistake, we're in the exact same situation that Daniel found himself in that many years ago. Now, in light of that, recognizing that truth, let's try to find some takeaways that we can grab hold of here. Some things that we can kind of use to, to teach us and to help us, to guide us so that we will be like Daniel. Because what does it say in this story? Very clearly, Daniel, man, he, he stood his ground and God blessed him for it. And I think all of us would like to be in that same boat, wouldn't we? We'd all like to be in that same place. So we did not compromise. And as a result, God blessed Okay, some things that we need to kind of recognize and take away from this passage that we can understand that, that can be real and, and, and valid and, and relevant for our journeys today. The first thing is this. Sometimes we have to understand this. Sometimes God allows the enemy to have a victory. Sometimes God allows the enemy to have a victory. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever sit back and wonder why does it seem like the enemy is always winning in today's culture? Like, why is it that the things that we know are bad, the things that we know are wrong, the things that we know run counter to God's word, like, why is that now becoming the norm? Why is that being accepted? Why is that being promoted in our culture today? Okay? The same thing happened back then. Sometimes we have to recognize, sometimes God allows the enemy to have a victory. Look what it says in this passage in verses 1 and 2. Third year, the reign of Jehoiakim. Now just know, Jehoiakim was not the natural leader. He was not the one that should have been king. 
In fact, it tells us that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, actually dethroned the, the son of Josiah who should have been and would have been king for the rest of his life. He actually dethroned him and he put Jehoiakim in as the king. So in other words, the king of Judah, the, the, the king of, of the people of God, was already an illegitimate king. So God had already allowed a victory to take place by the enemy even in the house of Judah. And so now Jehoiakim is the king. Second Chronicles chapter 36 tells us that Jehoiakim, that as he reigned, as many of the kings of, of Judah did, it says, and he did evil in the sight of God. So now think about the context. Josiah was a good king. Josiah was a godly king. Josiah's son, after Josiah, Josiah died, his son became king. But yet the king of Egypt, who has no authority whatsoever over Judah, actually took him off the throne and put Jehoiakim on the throne. And then that king, Jehoiakim, is the one that did evil in the sight of God. And then to add insult to injury, look what it says in this passage here. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And listen to these next few words. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. In other words, the fact that the original Hebrew word there literally means that God handed it over to Nebuchadnezzar. That God handed Judah over to Nebuchadnezzar. Not just Judah, he also handed the articles of the house of God. Now what was the house of God? The holy temple, right? The place that God had allowed them to build to be the house where God resided. The place of, of holiness, right? The place where they would come and they would, they would perform their, their, their sacrifices. They would, they would go through and they would repent there in the house and the temple of God. That was handed over by God to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And so you can see here that what happened is that God allowed this to happen. That God gave this victory to them. When you look at that statement, and the Lord gave. I've got to be honest with you, that's a theological difficulty, isn't it? Why would God allow evil to triumph. Well, here's a couple things you just need to know. Why did God allow this to happen? Well, there's a couple things that we can understand here. Hey, sometimes he allows evil to triumph in order to punish. So again, you go back and study the kings of, of Judah, the kings of Israel, over and over again, a common refrain, a common statement that you hear time and time again is this, and they did evil in the sight of God. And they did evil in the sight of God. And so, in other words, the, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, the, the people that God had saved, had delivered from Egypt and had taken care of and provided for so many years, that over and over again they forgot who God was, they forgot what God had done, and they began to run after the culture. In other words, what did they do? They compromised. So sometimes God allows the enemy to triumph in order to punish us. Sometimes God allows the enemy to, to, uh, to triumph in order to test us, to get a picture of where we are in our faith, to see if we can actually be counted on, to see if what we say with our mouths we will actually do in our hearts with our hands. So sometimes God allows the enemy to triumph to test us. Sometimes the, God allows the enemy uh, to, to, to triumph in order to refine us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 talks about how that, that for a little while we will suffer, but then God will perfect us. That's the idea of refining. That's the idea of actually taking something that is of raw form, something that needs to be shaped and allowing outside forces to work on it, to make it better, to make it stronger. 
In fact, another passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10 says this, I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here today that you can say in your life, in your journey, that you've been refined in the furnace of suffering? I've got to be honest with you, I think all of us could say we have. I look down here at Patrick, front row. Man, this young man, you've heard his story. We shared it not long ago by way of video. You've heard his testimony of what God uh, allowed to happen to him in a tragic way as a college student. Man, just loving life and, and things are great and going to school, best time of his life, gets in a car accident and because of a traumatic brain injury takes him 20 years? 18, 18 years to graduate. I'm sorry, I, I, I added two years to that journey. 18 years to finally graduate college because of a traumatic brain injury. And he will tell you the suffering that he went. He shared with me many times the story and the, the journey that he was on and how he was refined by that suffering. But you know what I know? I know this. I know that today Patrick is more committed and more connected to his God, his Father, than he ever has been before. Why? Because he has been tested in the furnace of suffering. I look around this room and I see lots of people who have been tested in the furnace of suffering. People who've gone through journeys where you wonder, like, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why am I having to deal with this? And over and over and over again, God sometimes uses those types of issues, those types of moments to refine us, to make us stronger, and to make us better. And I think we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks as we begin walking through the life of Daniel that that is exactly what we see in the life of Daniel here, that God used this to refine him. And so sometimes God allows the enemy to triumph, to punish us, sometimes to test us, sometimes to refine us, but don't miss this, but always to make us better. To always make us better. So sometimes God gives the enemy a victory. Second thing we can walk away from this passage today is this, is our actions in the midst of oppression determine our position with God. Our actions in the midst of oppression determine our position with God. Look what it says in this passage. Let's go back. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You see here, Daniel was determined not to compromise no matter what the situation was. And let's be honest. In the situation where he was, he was now in the palace. He was now in the king's palace. I mean, you know, the opportunity for compromise was everywhere. But he decided, no, I will not give in. Now, now, some of you think this is just like a moral victory that he was going after here. That, that he was just making a, a statement that really had no meaning, no bearing to it. But that's not true at all. The reason that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself by eating of the king's delicacies and by drinking of the wine of the king was very deliberate. Because you know, as you go back and study uh, in the nation of Israel, the laws that God gave to the Mosaic law, you know they were told certain things that you can and cannot eat, right? You, you've heard that story before, right? Like, like they, they could not eat certain things. And in that day in Babylon, here's some of the things that they ate regularly. Like the, the wealthy, the nobles ate. They ate lots of pork. I mean, we can get along with it, right? Bacon, right? I mean, come on, right? How many of you had bacon for breakfast this morning? You guys are Nebuchadnezzars, I'm telling you. I mean, they ate lots of pork. What did God say to the children of Israel? You cannot eat pork, right? That they could not touch it. They could not even go near it, right? Another thing they ate a lot of 
horse meat. How many of you had horse meat for breakfast this morning? Raise your hand. Nobody. Are you kidding? It's awesome. Okay, so they ate horse meat, which, by the way, according to the Levitical law, they could not have. The Mosaic law, they could not have that. Now, the wine, you talk about, what about the wine? Why couldn't he drink that? Because in modern and in, in uh, Babylonian culture, that they would actually take the first fruits, if you will, of all of their food and their wine, all of their drink, and they would take it, and they would first offer it to their gods before they partook. So in other words, <clears throat> it, the food and the, the drink, had all already been given to and had been used in the presence of the worship of idols. And so Daniel was not just making like a moral statement here, not just making like a, I'm better than you and I'm just going to show you what I think. He was doing this because he was following the command of God. He was obeying what God told him to do. And that's important for us to understand because oftentimes we just think like Daniel was just trying to, you know, kind of stand out in the midst of this situation with Nebuchadnezzar. No, no, no. He was actually doing it because God said, don't do it. And he was obeying God. That's a great lesson for us because God has told us a lot of things that we should and we should not do that where in our culture it's accepted. Things that God has very clearly told us to stay away from that in our culture we're said, no, it's okay, you're fine, go do it, it's no big deal. And we must obey God rather than man. Do you agree with me on that? And so that's what Daniel is doing here. And so recognize this, that sometimes in the midst of these situations, our actions when we are oppressed, our actions where we have the opportunity to, com uh, to compromise, they determine our position before God. Look what it says in verse 12 and 13. Daniel said, test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. Now, what happened here? What happened is this, is they followed the command of God and I already read it to you a moment ago. After 10 days, they checked them out. And when they checked them out, they recognized that they were healthier than anybody else. They recognized they were in a better position, a better situation, a better state than anybody else. All the ones who've been eating the, you know, the horse meat. And by the way, you eat horse meat, you're not going to be in good shape, right? And all the stuff, that, all the ones who've been eating everything that the king gave them, they were not in nearly as good a shape as Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because when you obey the command of God no matter what and you decide purpose in your heart, you will not compromise God is always going to put you in a better position than when you compromise. And so Daniel understood that. Daniel recognized that great truth, and so he stood firm. You see, what we do when we are in time of attack, like Daniel was, or time of oppression, will always determine our ability to fulfill the call of God in our lives. Why? Well, here's why. Because compromise will always destroy your testimony. Compromise will always destroy your testimony. It might be that you're in a situation where, where nobody else is even around and nobody else even knows. Make no mistake, when you compromise the principles of God, it will destroy your testimony. Compromise also destroys your growth. It keeps you from growing in your walk with God, in your journey, in your faith. It keeps you from developing the way God wants you to develop. So it destroys your growth. And compromise also destroys your future. Daniel knew that. Daniel knew that if he gave in, if he just kind of, you know, allowed himself to, to kind of move into this, this new position and be able to do different things because he was a long way from home and, and he was under threat now and all these types of things. That, you know, if he did that, that it wasn't that big of a deal. But he knew that if he gave in 
It would destroy his future. And man, it was so easy for him to compromise. Think about it. Going back to Leviticus, go back to Deuteronomy, go back to the Mosaic Law and all the things that they had to do. Now they're taken out of that position. They're sitting in Babylon. Guess what? If Daniel had given in, his family at home would never have known. If Daniel would have compromised, nobody back at, at the house would have ever even known anything about it. And let's be honest, he had never had bacon his entire life, and now bacon is sitting right in front of him, and nobody would even know. He could have gotten away with it so easily. And you think about it, now all of these others were around him. Peer pressure was insane. All these other 13 and 14-year-old boys were like, man, we get to eat bacon. I mean, they were like all in. The peer pressure must have been insane, but yet Daniel said, no, no, no. I will not compromise because he knew what would happen if he gave in. Recognize, man, our, our action in the midst of oppression will always determine our position. The next thing we learn from this passage is this. God will always reward faithfulness. Look what it says in verse 17 and following. In verse 17 it says this. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought into the chief of the eunuchs, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and then, that's after three years, by the way. So at the end of days, just, that's three years that this journey took place. Then the king interviewed them, and among them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. God will always reward you when you remain faithful always will reward you when you remain faithful. Now, I don't know how he rewards, and I don't know what the reward looks like for each individual. I, I, we don't know that story. That, that's beyond our pay grade, every one of us in this room. But I do know this. God can always be counted on. He will always reward us when we remain faithful. This passage is a clear statement of what that is. Look at verse 20. And in the matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in all his realm. Now understand this. Not only were Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego better than all of the others that were taken captive at 13 and 14, who were now 16 and 17, they actually were ten times better than the officials and the astrologers and the ones that, that were of high regard and, and, and very powerful in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Like, they were ten times better than all of them. Why? Because God rewarded their decision I will not compromise. And so what does that tell us? It tells us this finally. Our success in our faith life, our success in our journey is based on the condition of our heart. You go back to verse 8, the statement that's probably the key statement in all of the book of Daniel, and honestly could be the key statement really in all of God's word outside of the gospel. But Daniel purposed in his heart he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. So let me ask you a question today. In light of like the compromise that we have at every turn, the opportunities that we have to give in everywhere we go, the opportunities that we have at every moment, in any moment, to give in to the, 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 the pull of the culture, what have you purposed in your heart? What have you decided? I, I know this in this room today. I, I know this, those watching today. I, I know that, that all of you know the difference between right and wrong. I know that you know, like, what it is that you should do and you should not do. 
We're smart enough to figure that out on our own. We get that. Man, the opportunity for compromise is everywhere. What have you purposed in your heart? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves, not once, but every day. Because every day the temptations are going to come. Every day the culture is going to pull. Every day Satan is going to attack. Every day we have the opportunity to give in to what is accepted, but according to God's word, what is wrong. What have you purposed in your heart? And the answer to that question for you is the question that will determine how successful you will be in life. Now, I'm not talking about success as the world says, right? I'm not talking about like how much money you might have, what status you're going to have, what car you're going to drive, what house you're going to... I'm not talking about that stuff. That stuff is, man, it's, it's irrelevant. When you die, man, you are not taking that stuff with you. That stuff will do you no good in eternity. What I'm telling you is this. When you ask yourself the question... What have I purposed in my heart? The answer to that is what will determine your success and the success that really matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ability that we have to go to your word and that we can be refined and we can be changed and we can be taught the things that we need to learn. God, there's so much in our culture today that is trying to destroy, trying to pull us down, trying to get us to give in, trying to get us to walk away from what's right. God, I just pray we'll be faithful. Lord, help us to be like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Help us to to just decide in our hearts, to purpose in our hearts, that we will not allow ourselves to be defiled by the world. God, we want to follow after you. We want to run after you, God, because we know that that is what is right. God, give us the desire to, to seek holiness or to live our lives in the right place, in the right way, so that we can honor you in all that we do. 1 Corinthians 10, so that whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, we do all to your glory. God, I pray that's who we would be, because we know you're worth it. God, we rejoice today because of the gift that you've given to us in your Son, that Christ died for us, and according to God's word, that if we believe that, if we believe that he is your son that he died and that he rose again, that that we call in your name and we'll be saved. God, we thank you. So God, I pray that today in these next few moments, if there's somebody here today that hasn't done that, Lord, let this be the moment. Lord, help them to recognize what really matters, and that's you. God, for those of us who maybe have been giving in to compromise, God, I pray right now would be an opportunity for us to simply say, no more. Purposing in our hearts, we will not defile ourselves. God, for that we give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Our team's going to be here at the front. We're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing together. And I'm just asking you, like, well, like, what have you purposed in your heart? I've asked you that question a couple of times today. And it's not just a rhetorical question. It's a real question. It's an important question. What have you decided you're going to do? Are you going to follow after God or are you going to follow after the world? Are you going to run after his commands or are you going to give in to the pressure? To the culture. And so today, when we stand and sing in a moment, many of you may want to come to this altar and just kneel here and just a time of recommitment. God, I purpose in my heart today, I will not 
defile myself. I will not compromise. I will not give in. Maybe some of you here today need to come down and talk with one of our team members here to say, listen, I want to know about Christ. I want to know about what he's done and, and how I can be a child of God. Man, we'd love to share with you the gospel. And we've shared it with you multiple times today. We'd love to share it with you again. Maybe you want to join our church or come for baptism, come and leave a prayer request. Whatever, whatever you feel like God is leading you to do today, as we stand right now and sing, I encourage you to step out right now. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.